Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 23. If you don't mind, can you stand in honor of reading of God's word? It's our custom and culture to do so. I like to tell people, if nothing else I say is good, this is good because it's God's word. The Bible says that God's word will not return void. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 23. Now that you know the context, let's read what happens. It says this. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim to the city of David with gladness. And so it was with those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So just imagine this for a second. You have the king of Israel, a king that is known and notorious for his battles and for his warfare, and just what God is, he took out Goliath, all these amazing, amazing things. And he takes off his kingly robes, he puts on priestly robes, and he's dancing before the ark as it's being brought into Jerusalem. Meanwhile, it says this, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, which people pronounce this in three different ways. Some people say Michael. Some people say Michael. Um, Other people say Michal. Michael sounds like a guy's name, and Michal, I'm going to mess it up, so I'm going to say Michael. It says, who was Saul's daughter, looked through a window. So David's wife is looking through the window as David is coming dancing before the Lord and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the full, whole multitudes of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. This is the first potluck, y'all, right here in church. Anybody remember that? Having potlucks? So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So get this, they have this celebration, this time of worship, but then eventually went back home. Just like how today we, we had this amazing time in the presence of God worshiping, but guess what? We're going back home after this. So David goes back home, and it says this, Then David returned to bless his household. We're almost done. Can you imagine the the excitement that he has? He just got done worshiping, dancing, celebrating, and now he's coming back home and saying, Man, I, I want my family to grab a hold of this. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. You can kind of feel that sarcastic undertone right here, right here, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, which you should, if you actually do the study, the robes that he was wearing really wouldn't be that revealing. It would have covered him. So there was just some spite in here as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. In other words, I believe it wasn't just about what he was wearing, but it's about she despised how he was acting 
among the people, looking common. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel, over Israel, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. That's a clap back right there if I ever heard one. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So get this. David had a heart to worship God. The Bible actually gives him a title. He was known as a man after God's own heart. Nobody else in scripture gets that title. David did. Meanwhile, his wife didn't have a heart to worship God. And I can't help but to think about this as we talk about this series, the the gift of church at home, when the reality is for some people, when you take what you feel here back home, it doesn't feel like a gift at times because you may face opposition and division and criticism, and you may come from a divided house. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to handle it. You, you, you don't know, God, why is this taking place? But let me encourage you today. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Build on your relationship with God because God wants to use you. Because the reality is, this message is relevant for all of us. Because maybe at your workplace, there's division. In fact, let me just go ahead and pose and tell you this, the title for today's message. Here's, here's the titles for today's message. If you want to write this down, it's this. What do we do or what to do in a divided house? What to do in a divided house? It happened in the house of David. Maybe there's people that are believers in your home. Maybe you're the only believer in your home. Maybe there's people that are just religious. They're not walking out there. What to do in a divided house? house. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, have your way today. Speak through your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for, for, for just giving clear direction and, and encouragement, God, and understanding, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen, amen, amen. If you're thankful for his word, can you put your hands together for him on your way back to your seat? God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. I want to open up this message by going over some statistics from different studies and surveys that have been taking place over the years. And the one that you're looking at right now was put together by the Pew Research Center where they asked different generations in the United States what kind of household they came from. And specifically, whether they came from a mixed or divided household when it came to their faith and religious practices. So they asked, they asked a number, many different people, and this was a random conglomeration of both single parent and also two parent homes where they had all different kinds of faith or, or lack of faith where, where maybe the mom and dad believed the same thing or, or maybe there was a difference in their belief system or maybe it was the children that believed one thing and not the parents. And what they discovered was, on average, for the silent generation, that 13% of them said 
that they were raised and came from a divided household. For the baby boomers, 19% of them said that they came from a divided household. For Generation X, 20, and I'm talking about divided faith. For Generation X, 20% of them said they came from a divided faith household. And then for the millennials from 1981, anybody born between 1981 to 1996, 27% of them said that they came from a divided faith, or another word for it is like this, interfaith. That's what they call it. Interfaith households. So get this. From the silent generation to the millennials, we see the number, number doubled. Another way to put it across is, is to say it like this. Put it in a fraction, not just a percentage. So that means for millennials, one in every four millennials said that they came from a divided or interfaith household. To break it down even more, get this, the same study also showed that for the silent generation, they said that 48% of them, 48% of them said that both their parents were practicing Protestant Christians, which a Protestant was what we'd be classified here as today. Meanwhile, the millennials said 24% of them said they came from a household where both parents said that they were Protestant Christians. That's half the amount of Christian households, half the amount cut in half right there from what we see less than 100 years ago. Why is there so much division within homes when it comes to their faith and belief system? Why is this taking place? In fact, this doesn't even have Generation Z on here because they believe that Generation Z is going to have even more division in their home as well. Here's what I believe. This is what, what we see. What the byproduct of this goes back to what is being promoted and what is being entertained within the house. And even to the parents as well. I'll say it like this. In fact, I've, it's been said before like this, that everything rises and falls on leadership. Rise, everything rises and falls on leadership many times. Now, you can point a finger and say they're so bad, this or that, but many times when you point a finger, guess what? There's three more fingers pointing right back at me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I believe it's because of what is being practiced and promoted in the home. I want to show you this next statistic right here. Check this out. And this right here shows, this, this was another survey. In fact, this was an international survey that took place, a large one, multinational, and they even did similar ones in the United States, smaller, and they showed nearly identical results. This shows how parents' church attendance affects their children's church attendance when the children are adults, right here. And this is what they discovered, that whenever neither parents go to church, about 13% of kids will go to church or be involved in church regularly, and this is whenever they get older, 13%. Whenever the mom goes to church by herself regularly, they found that around 39% of the kids went to church regularly as adults. And get this, 
when dad goes to church regularly, 67% of children go to church regularly when they're adults, typically. And then lastly, both parents, when both parents go to church regularly, they say 74% of children will go to church regularly when they are adults. Now, I can't speak for what happens at home because that's more important. What happens at home, even than what happens here at church at times. You know, like I've heard said before, like what happens at your house is more, more important than even what happens at the White House. Stop trying to blame the media and the culture and all these different things. What your household has more influence than you even realize. And isn't this crazy right here to see these statistics? And I don't want to block God off and, and say that, that, that God is limited to just a statistic. Because let me tell you that God can anoint and use even a single mother. And he can use a single father. And you may feel by yourself. And that you can see your entire family live for God in church, praying together at home. You can see that take place. But isn't it interesting to see these statistics right here? And this is honestly what we've seen firsthand even here at Riverside Church. And this is what we've seen. Many times what we've seen is that whenever the father, when the man of the house decides to get serious about the relationship with God and says, we're going to the house of God. And many times, let me tell you, many times the entire family will follow suit as well. Even more so whenever it's both the parents as well. In other words, I just want to speak to some men as well today and remind you and tell you, if you're the man of your household, you have a responsibility to be the spiritual leader within your home, that what you do and your attitude and the way that you act and your relationship with God matters. In fact, many times people will view their heavenly father through the lens of the experience that they had with their earthly father at times. That's why you see children that don't have an active father in the family at times have so many issues when it comes to their relationship with God. And they're confused and, and, and they don't know what to do. And let me tell you also today that God, yes, that you may be a single mother and the scripture says that God is a husband to the husbandless, that he is a father to the fatherless. My dad didn't grow up. You didn't grow up with a dad. My grandfather passed away in a car accident when my dad was around five or six years old. But one day he experienced a love from a heavenly father and God saved him and he's done a work. Men, let me tell you, the way that you live, women, let me tell you, the way that you live, it matters. Children see. Many times more than they hear, they see. They will hear you. I, I can't, I, I remember just, even, like, I, I moved out of my parents' house over, like, just a little over a year ago, but I'm so thankful that my parents didn't just come to church, and, and they did nothing with, like, and, and, and that, that they took what they had here back at home, and it was the same, because guess what? The same parents I saw praying here, I also heard them praying in their home. They gathered the family together. They said, we're going to pray together. Come on, there's power in that. But men, it's time for the men of God to rise up. See, I believe it's trifold that we have a responsibility. Trifold, that we are called to be priests, actually providers, Protectors, priest. 
I'm going to say that one more time. Providers, protectors, priest. You know what a king is? A king is a provider and it's a protector. The word of God says it like this, that we are called, every one of us actually, are called in the spirit and revelation. If you have that scripture, you can throw it up there. In the book of Revelation, it says that we are called to be both king and priest. The scripture says it like this, that, that, that we are a royal priesthood. In other words, we are kings and priests in the spirit. See, and that's what made David unique. Because I think a great example of this is the life of King David and Michael. Because in the scripture that we opened up with, in the scripture that we read, we find David fulfilling his role both as king, but also acting as a priest. Because get this, when David is dancing before the Lord, this was such a big deal because the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was making its way within Jerusalem, within, within Israel, and, and the scripture says that David put on the priestly garments and began to dance before the Lord. He didn't care about who was watching. It wasn't just for show. And that's one of the best things that you and I can do when we come to church and we spend time in worship is just to get lost in his presence. We don't look to the left. We don't look to the right. We don't get focused on what everybody else is doing. We just focus on Jesus and get lost in his presence. Meanwhile, his, his wife, Michael, the scripture says, is looking from a window and the scripture says that she despised him in her heart. She despised, I can't believe he's acting like that. What does he think that he is doing out there? Do, doesn't he know that he is the king of Israel? Doesn't, see, here's the thing that's interesting, too, because when you study the life of Michael, the scripture just said it. It says that she was the daughter of King Saul. King Saul, who was the people's king but he wasn't God's chosen king. She, she was used to living with a king. She wasn't used to living also with a priest. She was used to a provider and a protector, but she wasn't used to living with somebody that knew how to worship God and how to dance before the Lord. In fact, at one point, Saul turned away from God and turned to witchcraft and, and turned to idolatry. Parents, the way that you live your life, once again, it matters. It's been said before like this, that what you do in moderation, many times your children will do in excess. I, I love this statement right here, this quote, and, and it goes like this. That the goal shouldn't just be to raise godly kids. Because some people, I'm going to raise godly kids, and I'm going to make sure that they're all good. But then whenever it comes to stuff in their own personal life, they say, oh, as long as my kids are good. But let me tell you, the goal shouldn't just be to raise godly kids. The real goal should be to be a godly parent. And the byproduct of being a godly parent is producing godly kids. Raise up and train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they grow older, they shall not depart. So Michael, she was used to her household. In fact, get this. The scripture actually says at one point that King Saul sent and wanted Michael to go to David because he knew that Michael would be a stumbling block unto him. In fact, there's actually another story in Scripture where she ends up trying to cover and hide David from her father and the guards that were trying to come to him. And one of the ways that she tried to cover him and hide him 
and pretend like he was sleeping was the scripture says she took an idol, must have been a big old idol, and put it underneath the covers of where he would sleep so that way she would fool the guards. Where did she get that idol? I can't say for sure conclusively or something like that, but there shouldn't have been a household in the home. She shouldn't have had that in her possession. Somebody may have taught her wrong. It wasn't walked out before. And I know we also have kids whose parents that, you know, we have youth here also that come to church and their parents don't come to church or their parents may not be living for God. But let me also encourage you, you kid and, you, and your youth, and maybe you're watching online right now, that God can even use you. The Bible says don't let other people look down at you because of your age, but lead by action and example and by your purity and your speech. We have seen literally entire homes and households and families come to the Lord all from one youth that came and got on fire for God, that went all in for God, anybody grabbing a hold of this today? Is this making sense for somebody? We got to live with character, integrity, consistency, and with a love for God. And I love how the scripture says it like this. The scripture says that David went back home to bless his household. I love that. In other words, David didn't just have a relationship with God just for a public service or to be a public spectacle and other people to see him. He desired for revival to come into his home and to hit his family and, and to see the blessing of God come in there as well. Come on, does anybody ever want to, I think that should be every parent's prayer. It's like, God, don't you wish that you could like shake somebody and say like, like live for Jesus, give your heart to, you know what I mean? You wish you can kick the door down. It's like, Holy Spirit, get in there right now, you know? It's like a grenade. Holy Spirit. But God's not like that. He's a gentleman. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says that, that Christ, he stands at the door and knocks. And we have to be the ones to allow him in. Same thing for your family. See, it goes back to the parable even of the sower. When the word of God it can be done not just by what you say, but also how you live. We're about to get into that too here in a second. But there's power in that. Somebody say, I am called to be the king and priest of my home. But what do you do when, when it's like David, where, where you, have to, you have a divided home? You have a divided house. Maybe you're the only believer in your family Maybe you're the only spouse or parent that comes to church. Maybe other people say they believe in God, but they criticize you for the passion and relationship that you have for God. Maybe for some of you, I'm describing your job. <laughs> I know how it's like. I've been out there in the field before. My father knows how it's like to, to be in the plant. We, trust me, there's going to be different division and differences that take place at times, but we need to understand this. I want to give you the first point today. It's this. We need to understand this, that everyone is worshiping something. That's the first thing we need to grab a hold of and understand. That at the end of the day, everyone is worshiping something. In other words, it is literally ingrained in our DNA to worship. I don't care who you are, if you're a believer or unbeliever, if you're a saint or an ain't. Atheist, agnostic, 
Everyone is worshiping something. The question is this, what or who are you worshiping? Let's, let's define worship just for a second too, okay? Worship is more than a genre. Worship is more than a mood. Worship is more even than what we just did at the beginning of the service because some people see worship just as different. Oh, it's a segment and part of service. I gave worship unto God and whatever. Like, no, 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 let me tell you. Worship is more than that. You know what worship is? Get this. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is whatever you place your highest value and worth onto. You can write, in fact, it's been said before like this, that another way to say worship is worth-ship. Because it's whatever you place your highest worth onto. Through what avenues? Through your time. Through your treasure. Through even, guess what, your thoughts and your desires. That whatever is getting the most attention or the highest priority or, or level importance of your life, many times that is what we worship. And that's what made David a, a powerful worshiper because he didn't care what other people thought. He placed God as the highest priority in his life. And he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. He's, we're going to stumble. We may, we may fail. But the, guess what? God also knows that we're going to turn towards him and say, Lord Jesus, worship him. And guess what? God can pick you back up. David knew how to repent before God. David was a worshiper. Michael, his wife, on the other hand, like, he, he should have known, y'all. Like, I, I've heard it said before like this, that you can either get with your, your helpmate or your hellmate. <laughs> said, choose carefully, son. That's what my dad said. His pastor, I don't know what that, I, like, they would give me wisdom, and whenever I was single, and they said, boy, just get with the right lady, son. Thank you, Lord. God bless me. Come on, I've obtained favor from the Lord right here in the front. But Michael, guess what? She, she really should have been with David. She should have been participating maybe with worship in one way or, 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 or something or whatever. But the scripture says that she was in the window watching. See, but don't be mistaken. Michael was still worshiping something. Get this. David was worshiping divinity. You know what Michael was worshiping? Dignity. Divinity. Dignity. David feared God. Michael feared people, the opinions of people. David sought the presence of God. Michael saw the presence of people. David was focused on the who of worship. Michael was focused on the how of worship. Question, who or what are you worshiping? I don't know about you. But I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke it to me like this, this morning. But I would rather be judged by people for worshiping God rather than to be judged by God for worshiping the wrong thing. I would much rather be judged by people for worshiping God than to be judged by God for worshiping the wrong thing, because everyone is worshiping something. Let me break this down real quick. I, I want to give you three different categories of worship that, that everyone is participating in or, or falling into in one way or another. First one being is this, that the first type of worship that there is is idol worship. 
idol worship. And simply put, idol worship is whenever we begin to worship anything in the place of where God should be. It's whenever something other than God sits on the throne of our hearts and, because, and becomes a God unto us, a lowercase g God, because there's only one God. But that's what can become an idol. And we don't have time to get into the whole scripture in Romans chapter 1, but we'll read the last verse of it in Romans chapter 25, verse 1. I mean, chapter 1, verse 25. It says this, they traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. If you read from verse 20 to 25, you actually see this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he begins to talk about how we were created to worship God, but in how the heavens declare who God is, that even by looking at creation, something in the heart of humanity says there is a God. There is a God. In fact, the Bible even says that the, the heart of a foolish man says there is no God. But as you look around, it's like, man, because who knows, if you see a painting, you know there was a painter. <laughs> you look around, it's like, my goodness, did, this, did, did, did we go from just the goo through the zoo to you, you know what I mean? Like, we, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. The heavens and the earth testify of who God is. And he says in Romans chapter 1, he said that people decided to make their own gods because they didn't pursue after the one true God and they made their own idols and things that resemble different animals and different people and worship the creation rather than the creator. Many times whenever I think of idols, what do you think about when you hear the word idol? I think of the golden calf in the, in the people of Israel whenever Moses is getting the commandments from God and Aaron and the people of Israel, they put together this golden calf. You know where they learned that? They learned that from the Egyptians. False god idol worship. They said, because that's a tough thing, right? It's like, because God is invisible. God is spirit. They wanted something tangible that they could see. So they put together this idol. They began to, to worship this false idol, bow before this golden calf. And you may think to yourself, man, that is so stupid. Who would worship a golden calf? But let me tell you today, there are still idols. And for some of us, we're worshiping idols. Idols show up in all different shapes, and sizes, and here's the thing about an idol. This is what makes it tricky. You ready? Anything can be an idol. Get this. I'll go a step further. The blessings of God in your life can become an idol if we're not careful. It's whatever we place our highest worth. On. It, it, it's something that we, we hold on to so tight, but if God were to say, release it and give it to me, we say, no, it's mine. That's a sign that it could be an idol. We got to have a loose grip on things. We got to understand that we are not in ownership. We are simply in stewardship. See, let me tell you different idols real quick for the sake of time. Money could be an idol. Money within itself is not evil. The love of money is what's evil, the scripture says. Money can be an idol. Possessions can be an idol. 
the opinions, the opinions of other people. Your phone can become an idol. Social media can become an idol. Your job can become an idol. Power could become an idol. That bottle can become an idol. That lighter can become an idol. Let me, let me hit everybody. The fork can become an idol. We just got out of Thanksgiving. Here we go. Now we got everybody right here. Sports. Isn't it crazy how people, like, criticize people for raising their hands in church, but then at a sports game, they're painted. Ah! You know what I mean? Anything. Like, that's awesome. You're having a great time and stuff. But anything could be. Let me tell you one of the greatest idols of all. You ready? Go get a mirror <laughs> or take a selfie. This is the selfie generation, y'all. Ourselves, a relationship can be an idol. Anything can become an idol. What am I trying to tell you? If we want to have church at home and you, you may be facing and being a divided home and, and you don't know what to do, let me tell you, let me remind you, everyone is worshiping something. Everyone is worshiping something. And why can't we as the church be passionate about who we worship when the world can be passionate about, about what they worship? Because here's the thing about idols. At the end of the day, they're dead. They're, they're, they'll, they'll break down, and, and idols will disappoint you. But your God is living. Your God is alive. He'll never fail you. It's been said before like this, that you will become more like whatever you worship. Those idols, broken down, dead. But guess what? Your God is alive. We are made to worship God. If the, loud, if the world can be loud about what they believe, why can't we be loud about what, who we believe in? Don't ever feel guilty, in other words. Don't ever feel guilty for worshiping God because everyone is worshiping something. Here's the next one. we got to move on. Idol worship. I did not say the same thing twice. This is a different word right here. This is another type of worship that, that people have is idol worship. Like, for example, I think we've all left our car on idol before. You, maybe you've seen the signs. No parking, no idling. It's whenever you can get in the car, you can turn the ignition and have it on, but you're not moving or going anywhere. You don't have your, the pedal. To, you don't, you're not moving anywhere. And let me tell you what idol worship is. Idol worship is when we idly go through the, 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 the rhythms and motion of religion and tradition. Get this. It's when you can even come to church but your heart really isn't pursuing after God. It's when you have a form of godliness, but that, then you can deny the power thereof. It's like you're in the car. But who knows, faith without works is dead. Some people come to church and check it off or whatever, and they just go through the motions and routine. But the reality is they're not really seeking and pursuing after God. It's, it's, it's idol worship. I think of the house of Abinadab. 20 years the ark of God was there. The Bible says nobody sought God like how they were supposed to during the time. Michael, from the window, watching David worship. Watching a spectator, but not a participator. 
Oh, I'm comfortable with seeing somebody else live for God. I'm comfortable with seeing other people get a breakthrough. I'm, I'm comfortable with seeing other people be, 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 be discipled and changed and all these different things. But, you know, I'm just going to stay to myself. I, I, I'm going to get complacent and, and casual or whatever. But you need to allow God to flow through you and walk in obedience and give God the worship that he is worthy of. I think of the Dead Sea, y'all. You know the Dead Sea? You know what all the Dead Sea is? They call it the Dead Sea because nothing alive is there. Why? Because the water comes in, but there's no water flowing out. So therefore, salt stacks up. Let me tell you, we are not called to be a monument as the church. We are called to be in movement. We are called to be in rhythm. We are called to worship unto God, express ourselves before the Lord. Amen. Let me tell you some of the greatest idol worshipers that we find in the Bible, the Pharisees. Oh, yeah. They looked great and grand from the outside and their religion and their tradition and all their man-made rules. But Jesus said this of them in Matthew 15. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. This is Jesus talking. He said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, because once again, one of the problems the Pharisees had was on the outside they looked great, but on the inside they were dead. That's why Jesus also called them this. He said they are like whitewashed tombs. They look great. In other words, in one way they act like this, but in reality they're like this. See, you know what idol worship will do? Idol worship, once again, will say, you know what? I came to church, but then I leave God there, and I go back and I do my own thing. And I'm idle, and it, 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 and you know what they call that? Hypocrisy, being hypocritical. By the way, side note, don't ever let hypocrisy keep you from coming to church. Because <laughs> has it ever kept you from going to the gym? <laughs> Come on, has anybody ever been guilty of saying you're going to do one thing, but you felt there, there's going to be that taken place? Let me tell you that right now. But be consistent. Get planted. Do, fall in love with Jesus. Love him. And when, take what you feel back home. Build on your relationship with God. Don't do it just for the other people to see you or whatever. Do it as unto God. We got to move on. Last one is this. Ideal worship. Ideal worship. In other words, this is the worship that God expects and he sees as ideal. It's when he gets our full attention and affection. This can be expressed in all kinds of different ways. But ultimately, get this, it's God who sees the heart. Man looks at the outside, but it's God who looks on the inside. He sees the heart and he sees the motive behind the worship. You see, ideal worship is more than just worshiping God for what he can do for you. It's about worshiping God for who he is. This was the kind of worshiper that David was. He was someone that worshiped and pursued after God. See, Jesus said this about the worship that God expects in John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. It says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. You know what Jesus said this at? Jesus said this as he's conversating to the Samaritan woman at the well. 
Because after Jesus gives her a word of knowledge and reads her mail and said, you, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with isn't even your husband. And she changes the subject, starts talking about religion. <laughs> when you see that, you know, I know you're a prophet. And then she begins to talk about worship. And she says it like this. When she finds out who said, you're a prophet. And she begins to talk about, she said, you know, us Samaritans, we worship God on this mountain and on this hill. And we have, see, for the Samaritans, they had their own temple. They had all, they had their own religious system. And then the Jews, they had their own religious system. And for them, worshiping God meant going to, to, the, to the temple and, and going to the courts and all these different things. In other words, she saw worship as something that was just done in one place during a specific time. And that was what she viewed worship as. When Jesus said this, he said, there is coming a time. In fact, the time is right now. Now, too, when, when God, when he's looking and longing for the true worshipers that will worship God in what? Spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Spirit. That means that, guess what? We don't have to restrict our worship unto God until one place and one setting at a church service, but that now you can worship God anywhere, anytime, any place. And guess what? You get to experience the spirit and presence of God because the very and within the temple was torn and ripped in twain. And now, guess what? We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and now we can sincerely and genuinely worship God. Let me tell you, don't just worship God here on a Sunday. Worship him on your Monday. Worship him on your Tuesday. Worship him on Wednesday. Worship him at home. Worship him at work. Worship him in the car. Worship him in the movies. Worship him at the mall. Worship him wherever you go. You are called to to worship God. Do we have any worshipers in the place today? Because guess what? Everyone is worshiping something. Let's make sure we have the right type of worship. Let's not have an idol. Let's not go through the motions. Let's say, God, I'm going to worship you. Worship team, y'all go ahead and join me. Man, there's so much more I have right here too. Is this helping somebody today? I pray this is. I feel God's presence, and I just want to be obedient to what God felt like the Lord told me to say. Here's, here's the second last point I want to give you real quick. What do you do in a divided house? I felt like God told me to share this point. It's this. To let the fruit of your life speak for itself. Let the fruit of your life speak for as though sometimes we think you know if I want to see this person come to Christ I want to see this person come to the Lord I got to come and, and, and drag him to church and let them hear Pastor Bobby preach and yeah God can use the word of God the word of God is sharp the word of God is powerful but let me tell you what God can use even more as well the life that you live. In fact, the Bible says it like this. The word of God calls us living letters. That our life is a living letter. There's 66 book, books in the Bible, but guess what? You and your life is the 67th. That God is literally writing a story through the life that you live. By your relationship that you have for him, 
And the consistency, some people are so good at short-term intensity, but they're horrible at long-term consistency. But let me remind you, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race. I, I love what Pastor CJ said this past Sunday. It wasn't interesting how whenever David, after he went to Obed-Edom's, he took the Ark of God, and rather than putting it on a cart because it was quick, every six paces, that's slow, y'all, they would sacrifice animals and worship. I would much rather, like Pastor CJ said, I would much rather go slow with God than fast with sin. You need to learn how to just hold his hand and walk with him every day. Some of you, you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking so much. You're like, God, how am I going to live for you for 10 years? How am I going to live for you for my entire life? You, you see this temptation. You see these things. But, but switch it. Stop thinking about for the next 10, 20. The Bible says don't worry for tomorrow. Jesus said tomorrow has enough, today has enough worries within itself. Just wake up every day. Say, Lord, I want to be led by you. I want to walk with you. I, I want to be in relationship with you. God, I, I need you. It's, it's, it's not going to happen by, by, by you trying to force feed and be a Bible thumper or to be a sin police. <laughs> you Come on. It's by the life that you live. It's by the fruit that you produce. Because let me remind you, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are, command, we are told that we are called to bear fruit. Jesus said this in John 4, John 15, verse 4 through 5. He said, abide in me and I in you as the, bear, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me, for without me you can do nothing. Get this. Jesus did not say, Abide in a church service. Abide in church on a Sunday and you're going to produce fruit. Because let me tell you, there's a difference. You can actually be in church, but that doesn't mean that you are in Christ. Hello. We are called to be in Christ. Michael, she was in the middle of a move of God. Revival was breaking out in the city. People were rejoicing. The presence of God is here. God is moving. David is dancing before the Lord. I'm not telling you to cop on your work on, on Monday and go crazy dancing, doing the chicken dance. I'm not telling you to do none of that right now. But Michael was in the middle. You know that you can be in the middle of a move of God and miss out by the posture of how you worship and honor God? The Bible says, draw near to God. And he will what? Draw near to you. Some people may know how you are in church, but they don't know who you are in Christ. He said, abide in me and I in you. And guess what? You're going to be fruitful. People will taste. What does the Bible say? Taste and what? See that the Lord, that he is good. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Has anybody ever seen somebody in their family come to the Lord other than my family? Let me tell you right now, my family, 
we are probably the least likely family to be doing what we're doing today in ministry. To be honest, my, my father grew up as the son of a nightclub owner. They had one of the largest dance halls within South Texas. And then one day, my uncle had an encounter with the Lord, he gave his heart to him. In fact, at the beginning, he, did, he was trying to figure things out. He would walk around the nightclub with the Bible in his hands. There was so much stuff taking place within that nightclub, y'all. It was, it was insane. I got so many crazy stories from the mafia, the cartel, the, 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 the different fights and things. It was, it was a, not a good atmosphere. You know what happened? My uncle took that fire and that passion he had for the Lord. He shared it with the family. He shared the gospel one day with his brother, with your pastor, Pastor Bobby. And the whole family ended up turning to the Lord. And guess what? They sold the business. They sold everything and walked away from all those things. And people thought they were crazy. What do you think you're doing? But they valued their salvation and the salvation of their family more than the opinions of other people. And let me just be honest with you. When my dad first got saved, it was whenever they just had Haley. They were early on in their marriage and relationship. And I heard Pastor Don was hesitant to be saved after my dad was. Because she knew that if she were to go all in for God, yes, there would be sacrifice. She said, hey, anybody who decides to follow for me must deny themselves, pick up their cross. She knew, especially in the denomination that they were in at the time, but you know what she also saw? She saw the fruit of my father's life and the consistency and the change that God was doing in his life. And she decided to give it a try. Because my dad went to a church service. And when he went there, he gave his life to the Lord. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He told my mom, she probably thought my dad was crazy and insane in the membrane. Like, what do you think? What are you talking about? But he walked with the Lord. She went to a church. God saved her and filled her with the Holy Spirit. And I think y'all did a pretty decent job with y'all's kids too because now we all get to serve in ministry together, planted in the house of God, all from one person. And you know how this church started? Over 16 years ago, after years of my parents feeling the call to start a church and start a ministry, you know where this church started? It didn't start in this facility. It didn't start in an auditorium. It started off at my parents' home. A little house out in the country. Probably about 15 minute drive from here. Probably 20 minutes from where we're at right now. Just people that knew that God had called them and they had prayer services within their home. Four people showed up. One of them are right there right now, my aunt Annie. She showed up and people prayed together within the home and now from that one home I look around I see many homes there's many families God is saving God is moving God is feeling God is delivering I feel this so, so I feel the presence of God I, I, I have more scripture there, there's scripture I want to encourage you to read to encourage some parents that are, are, are spouses who may be un unbelieving or whatever they may live in a divided home first Peter 3 1 through 2 first Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. So 1 Peter 3, 1, 1 Corinthians 7, 12. Read that when you get a chance, when you get back home. 
But in short, what it says is this, is let the fruit of your life speak for itself. Fall in love with Jesus. Abide in Christ as he abides in you. And see what God will begin to do, amen? Can we stand to our feet today? I feel the presence of God. I know this may have been a convicting, challenging word, but I feel like that's part of our responsibility is to challenge you and to encourage you. We're all on this walk together. We're all following Jesus together. We, we, one day we will get to heaven and we'll look back and we'll be thankful for moments like this, but I don't know about you. I don't want to go by myself. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to fall in love with Jesus. For my children who I haven't even had yet, pray. Pray for your family. Pray for them. Just to see what God will get, begin to do. Do your part. God will do his part. Come on, can we just pray and worship here together right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Come on, if you have somebody on your heart, I want you to begin to just speak their name. Just say it under your voice. Say, Lord Jesus, touch Larry, touch Anthony, touch Margaret. I don't know. I'm just speaking random. Whoever it may be, Lord Jesus, right now, we just speak right now. That the, the way that you did it in the book of Acts, where salvation came to the entire home, and they were all filled with the Spirit. I pray that you would do that even today. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing it even right now. God, right now, wake us up. Come on, guys, you can focus on him. Just worship. Express yourself unto God. Be the worshiper. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, right now, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for moving and touching hearts, God. We thank you, Lord. God, forgive us for every one of our sins. God, we repent. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Have your way. We praise you. Can we just raise our hands? Can we worship whatever you feel led to do? Can we praise him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurch.com tx.com